Good morning. We're excited this morning to go through the book of Colossians. Two weeks ago, we... Hey, Mitch and Kim, good to see you guys. Uh, two weeks ago, we began the book and um, looking at describing who Jesus was. And we said that Jesus is the linchpin uh, that holds all things together. And it was an awesome opportunity for us to see that the linchpin is the piece that connects us together. Today, Paul is continuing to write from prison, and he's given us this picture of Jesus. If you ever have someone ask you, who is Jesus? Who is he? And you're wondering, where should I go? Like, what should I say? How do I know he's God? How do I know that he created the world? This is the passage. Like, you should have this boldly underlined, highlighted, go ahead and cut it out, carry it in your back pocket. This is the passage that says who Jesus is, that he is the hope of the world. You will see from this passage today that he is supreme over all. He has supremacy over all. He is the, the, the last word spoken. He is superior. He has status and power that no one else has, that no one should have. He's above first class. He's in a class all by himself. Have you ever flown a jet plane and you, and you got on the jet plane and you had to walk through first class to get to economy class? I do, do it all the time. Have you ever had a real long flight and you're thinking, man, if I could just have one of those seats right there that stretch out and, and you walk by and the people are looking at them and you're, like, and you're, you're walking through in those really weak moments that you have and, and then they, they shut the curtain. You ever said like the holy of holies, there they are, just you can't even get in there. Like somehow they're a whole different class and there have been times on a couple occasions where I've been the first row from first class. And so I stick my foot under the curtain, just like. <laughs> I get to fly in first class with you for a quarter of the price. We're going to see today from this passage that Jesus is the hope of the world, that he is God, and that when we trust in him, we have salvation that's beyond this world for eternity. Grab your Bibles, we're going to journey, take notes. I encourage you, this is a day you want to take notes and turn to Colossians chapter 1. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Our ushers will put one in your hand and turn to verse 15. We're going to read verses 15 to 23. Colossians 1, verses 15 to 23. Would you stand with me as we read this out loud together? Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 to 23. Let's read this together. Ready, read. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you have heard, that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven 
and on which I, Paul, have become a servant. You may have a seat. Keep in mind as we go through this book, remember, he's writing from prison. And the reason he's in prison is because he proclaimed Jesus. He was telling other people about Jesus. And so he has no agenda other than say, hey, I get nothing by saying this. I'm already locked up. And so he's writing this letter and he says, I want this church, I want you to know today, Grace Community, who Jesus is. Think about just the name Jesus and just think about when he entered earth, how he's impacted humankind. The actual calendar that you and I have is built upon him. We had a BC, we have an AD. Something took place for us to change from BC before Christ and the year of our Lord. The actual calendar system that we live by is made and built upon a man named Jesus. Now, he has some significance. If they change the whole calendar system because of it. People are thrown out of countries for saying his name and even tossed in prisons. You can't pray at his name in major sporting events. Have you ever been asked to go to a sporting event or somewhere and they say this, we want you to pray, but make sure you don't say the name Jesus. You can say everything else, but don't say the name Jesus. Have you ever gone to a graduation and you've been one of the speakers? Don't dare say the name Jesus. There's this fear somehow. And so you'll watch people dance around because there's a fear that somehow if his name is spoken, it'll cause controversy. We have the name Christmas. It's been replaced with Xmas. You ever seen that, Xmas? Now here's the irony in that. X is the Greek letter for Christ. Every time I see it, like, you don't even know what you're doing. You thought you took Jesus out, you put him right back in. People get upset over the name Christmas. You can't say Merry Christmas anymore. You have to say, happy holidays. We're afraid to say his name. You got to ask the question, why? Why are we so afraid to say the name of Jesus? We have holidays, Christmas holidays. All those same people who won't say Merry Christmas, they'll take the four days that are attached to it for vacation though. All built upon the birth. We have Easter, another holiday that celebrates his resurrection. Millions of crosses and jewelry pieces with the, the cross on it. It's the most divisive name. And the truth is, people are afraid of the name Jesus. Demons flee at his name and darkness turns to light. This week, we were in Ohio at a conference and we went out with some of our pastor friends and we went into an Arby's. And as we're walking into the Arby's, there was a gal behind the counter. And as I regularly do, I just engaged her in conversation. And I asked her, hey, so are you from this area? And she said, yes, I am. I said, well, are you connected to a school hereby? Yeah. Well, what grade are you going to be in? And she said, well, I'm a junior. I'm going to be a senior. And I said, um, are, are you connected to a church anywhere around here? She said, yeah, I go down to church um, right down the road from there. I said, so, so you're a Jesus follower then? And she said, yeah. And there was a worker in the background went, he said, Jesus, can you believe he said the name Jesus? People are afraid of his name. Why? Because it's the name above every name and every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Either in this lifetime or the lifetime after death, we will come to grips that he is Jesus. So Paul is about, by the way, Arby's go back there, a little random thought. You know the little bell you got to ring there? Come on, I mean, you ever see that? You ring it if your service was good. You know what I'm talking about? Somebody's like, whoa, never been to Arby's. <laughs> Get the best sandwiches on the planet. Anyhow, 
I like the court, chicken cordon bleu. You want to know? Get me a ch- chicken cordon bleu. But anyhow, you ring a bell when you leave. Wouldn't it be great to have one at, when you leave church? You ring a bell. <laughs> great service. Prank up. <laughs> I got to get back here. All right. Turn, turn to verse 15. Here's the first piece that Paul talks about Jesus. He's the image of the invisible God. Write that down. He's the image of the invisible God. Look what he says in verse 15. The Son, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. What's that mean? Jesus makes God visible by looking at him. In John chapter 14, Philip asked him this question, Lord, Lord, who are you and where are you taking us and what happens when you leave? And Jesus said his word, Philip, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. Jesus is a mirror reflection of God. You and I woke up this morning, we looked in the mirror, maybe think, oh boy, shouldn't got up, shouldn't stay up so late, shouldn't have been to the demolition derby last night. Look at those rings under my eyes. Woo! When you look at Jesus, he's a mirror walking around. When they looked at him on earth, God, there's God. Look at him, it's God. He is a picture of reflection. He's the image of the invisible. No one has seen God, but if you see Jesus, then you have seen God. Jesus reveals himself to creation. And there's two kinds of revelation that God reveals himself. Let me just give you a really cool snapshot of some theology. There's what we call general revelation, and there's what we call special revelation. Special revelation and general revelation are two forms that God reveals himself. General revelation refers to the general terms that can be known about God through nature or creation. Special revelation refers to the more specific truths that can be known about God through the supernatural or Jesus himself. Let me pull away. General revelation. When you walk outside and you see the wonder of a storm, a sunset, how many times have, have you taken a picture of a sunset and it's just been, blows your mind? And then you see everyone put, wow, 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 wow. It's awe and wonder. About, how many of you stood at the Grand Canyons and, and just stood at that gorge and just went, wow. That's God's general revelation of himself. We get to see God through nature. How many of you, Ann and I were in Hawaii uh, two Februarys ago, and we're standing on the North Shore. We've been to the Atlantic Ocean. We've been to the Pacific Ocean. We've swam in waves and undertow, and we've seen incredible sunrises and sunsets. But when we stood on the North Shore of Hawaii and Oahu, and we saw 35-foot waves coming, we just stood there, both of us, and we looked at each other, whoa, whoa, there's got to be a God. And then we saw some dude surfing on it, whoa. It's the awe and wonder of God that when you experience him in creation. Let me just tell you something. Recent studies, 2017, this is important. Parents, listen, listen to me. Turn your phones off and just listen. This is important. Recent studies, 2017, show us that the generation now, right now, and the generation after them, and the generation before them, that age span, more of those Men and women, boys and girls, are suicidal. More of those are depressed. More of those are lonely. More of those have written letters of depression or suicide and wanting to check out. And they begin to do some studies, and what they're finding is this. 
They're finding that the generation coming through and the generation before them and after them has pulled away from God's general revelation. They're setting in their homes to one, two, three, four in the morning playing games on their computers and their mobile devices, gaming, video games. And what is happening is they're not stepping out into creation and seeing God. They're not experiencing the awe and wonder of Jesus and his creation. And they're spending their time looking at man-made devices, man-made tools. And so their hearts are being filled with man-made stuff. And they don't have any space in their heart for God. And what they're showing, those same children, those same young adults that are spending time outdoors, that are hiking, swimming, spending time running outside, not running on a treadmill, but running outside and are seeing God's creation loud and in an awe-inspired way, depression, suicide, loneliness is way below on the charts. Why? I say it this way. When I get outside, I come alive. Why? We get to see the grandeur of God's creation. Parents, hear me out, please, please hear me out. Adults, there are things that, that you've done, and Ann and I, we used to take our kids, we would lay in the driveway on a blanket on our backs and just stargaze and say, there's gotta be a God. We took our kids and hiked, and we took our kids and spent time outside camping, and we even took tents. And one of the reasons like, we go to Western Maryland, guys say, when I come here, I just come alive. I don't know what happened to me, but something different. We get out in nature and you get to hear and speak and touch and see God. Please hear me, parents. Take control of your child's life. Go on walks, hikes, spend time swimming at the beach. See God's creation close in front. Don't let them fill themselves up. We have more people living in the cities than ever before in our, in our human history. And there is more depression and suicide than ever. It's because we've lost the awe of our God, general revelation. Oh, come on, parents, adults. How many of you have been sucked into that vacuum? How many of you are Netflixing your life away when you have a chance just to go out and plant something in the garden, water a flower and say, wow. God, you're good. When's the last time you stood out in your yard at night and just stargazed? General revelation. The earth is screaming, God, God, God. You will not find it on your mobile device or in front of a computer screen. This is our chance. Two weeks ago at Momentum Youth Conference, Louis Giglio was there. And our teens were there. And so he proposed this question in front of 2,400 plus people that were there. He asked this question, how many of you today are here? How many of you here today, after a, a, a pretty intense message, have written a suicide note? How many of you have thought about suicide? How many of you have something in your dresser drawer? How many of you have contemplated suicide? And all across this auditorium, over 60 people acknowledged, listen, we got to get our kids to understand who our God is. You know, when I grew up, one of the things we did well, we spent time outside. You know, my mom would have to drag me back in. I was playing hide-and-go-seek until 10 o'clock at night. Building things, manufacturing, swimming, boating, kayaking. 
It's our chance to show the world that God is awesome. Get outside today, tomorrow, and experience God in creation. The next thing we see that Paul mentions about Jesus, it says this, 15, it says he's the firstborn over creation. Now, this is very important, by the way, because if you ever had a Jehovah Witness knock on your door, some of us have, and I've had them and you had them. They go to this verse and they'll say this, let me see your Bible. We'll use your Bible. And so they open up their Bible and they'll take you to Colossians chapter one and they'll read this. The sun is the image of the invisible, the firstborn over all creation. And then they'll say this. So if he's born, then he must have been created. How can he be God if he was a firstborn? How would you answer that question? What would be your answer to someone who's a Jehovah Witness who said, he can't be God, he was firstborn. He must have been created. What would be your reply to Jehovah Witness who, by the way, they believe what they believe. It's a cult, by the way. They're lost, they don't know the truth, they don't believe that Jesus is God. Let me, let me give you some understanding here. Jehovah Witness will use this verse to say that Jesus is a created person, thus he can't be God. That's not what this is saying, though. Yes, there are firstborn children. Ann and I, we have one. His name is Josh. Or in other words, first created. He was the first procreated child in our family. Yet the context here and the understanding here is so important. Not only here, but in other passages in Scripture. When Paul said this, what he was saying is he has a preeminent position. In fact, go to Psalm chapter 89, 27 this afternoon. You know what you'll find there? Psalm chapter 89 and verse 27. You will find this. And it says, I will make him the firstborn, David, the highest of the kings of earth. It's an example or a way to say preeminent, superior, above all, first, with dignity, having paramount rank. It has nothing to do with being firstborn or procreated. So Paul is saying this, Jesus is the chief. Jesus is the head. He's the master of all creation. He's the north point on the compass. By the way, we don't even know how to use compasses anymore. We don't. In my generation, and some of you were with me, we used to, they, they'd give us a compass, and they would send us out in the woods in groups, and they would give us coordinates points, and they said, now find your way home. Do you remember that, like fifth grade? I was out in the woods, Camp Misty Mount, and I was the team leader. And they said, Jim, I want you to take your group out, and, I, and they showed us how to find north, and so we found north, and I found north, and they said, here's the coordinate points. I want you to bring your team back. And I was a fifth grader with a flashlight in your hand that never worked. You remember those? They just never worked. You turn the top, and you it just didn't work. And so we're standing there, and I got these fifth grade friends. Half of them were girls, and they're starting to cry. It's like, it's pitch black. You got to find north. You got to find north, because once you find north, it centers everything else. If that's north, then this must be south. And then this must be east and this must be west. Now, what do we use? We use Siri. Like Siri's like somehow we believe is like the center point of everything. If we ask Siri, she'll tell us everything. Take us anywhere. How many of you have been somewhere on a trip, traveled somewhere, got there, and don't have a clue how you got there? Other than Siri, turn left, turn right, 10 miles, turn around, turn around, recalculating, recalculating. 
We had meal this week with some uh, friends of ours, Jason Haymaker and Marcy Haymaker, and Emily, their daughter, was with us, and we were sitting, eating breakfast in the morning at the hotel. And she told the story this week. She said, I was hungry, and I was at work, so I decided I would go out for lunch. And so she, she said, I spoke to Siri and said, take me to this restaurant. She said, so I got in my car, and I drove to this place, and I got in the car. Getting there was no problem. Got out, and I ate some lunch. And she said, I, I picked up my iPhone, and I said, take me back to the place I work at. And she named the place she was working at. She says, I was listening. Siri was taking me. And then all of a sudden, Siri said, get out and walk. She's like, get out and walk. She said, I'm driving. And so she's like, I looked at my phone. It's like, I didn't know where I was supposed to go. The road was blocked off. She says, I didn't know how I got to where I was at. She said, I didn't. I knew I went to eat, and she said, it told me to walk. You're 300 feet from your destination. And she says, she said, I panicked. She said, I was trusting Siri. I didn't have a clue where I was at. She said, eventually, I backed up. It was 15, 20 minutes late for work, and I finally pulled in the parking lot at work. And she said, I got out and looked, and she said, I was 300 feet from home and didn't know how to get home. Jesus, Paul is saying, is the centering point. You go to him, he'll help you home. You get him right and everything else is taken care of. Look what else he says. It doesn't stop there. It just keeps getting better and better and better. Verse 16, he says, for in him, all things were created. How many things? Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. Then he says, how many things? All things have been created through him and for him. So let me just ask you a question. I want you, th- you don't have to answer this. What part of all is in all? All things. He created all things, whether it's visible or invisible, thrones or rulers. People often ask, where's the world come from? Jesus created it. He spoke it into existence. There is such intricate design to creation. There must be a designer. I just want to give you a snapshot of, of our creation. In my office, I have this globe, and, and from time to time, I'll just spin it like this, and then I'll point, I'll just point, and then I'll pray for that country or that place or those people group. I figure God can randomly somehow want me to pray for that. But the reality is that we have this world that we understand that's been created through him and by him, by Jesus. And he holds it all together. Yet, this is just one little snapshot, the earth, the globe, the world, as we see and understand that God has created, Jesus has created so much more. Let me just give you a snapshot of the world that we live in. Consider this, the sun, which is 93 million miles away from earth. Sometime, don't do it right now, ask Siri. Give me directions to the sun. Watch what happens. I know you're curious. Don't cheat. Wait afterwards. The sun, which is 93 million miles away from earth. It's so large, the sun, that 960,000 earths could fit inside of it. What do you want to do? Wow. 960,000 earths could fit inside of the sun. And that's just a relatively small star, the sun. Beetlejuice, which is 427 
light years away, is twice the size of the Earth's orbit around the sun. It is so humongous, Betelgeuse, that 262 trillion Earths could fit inside of it. And our God has created it, and he holds it all together. It doesn't stop there. The largest star, which is known as Canis Majoris, is so incredibly massive that seven quadrillion earths could fit inside of it. And then the psalmist says this in Psalm 139 in verse 14. He says that you and I are fearfully and wonderfully made. Think about this for a second. Our beginning lies in one microscopic cell from our mother and one from our father. So one cell, mom and dad. These two form one new cell with a totally new and unique set of DNA. It contains three billion characters of code. This one new tiny cell contains all the information and instructions needed to produce us. This one cell then divides and soon becomes an embryo, becomes a baby, which becomes a child, which becomes an adult. The single cell now gives way to 75 trillion cells in the human body. Every one of these cells has 3 billion bits of our genetic code. And every three seconds, 50,000 cells die and are replaced in our bodies. Oh, come on. Woo! That's our God. Someone said, well, who's Jesus? Well, let me tell you. In him and through him, all things have been created. All things, all things, all things, whether visible or invisible, powers and thrones and rulers and authority. And he's created all of them. If something is created, hear me out. It belongs to the creator. It exists for the creator. It returns to the creator. It's the possession of the creator. And it will give an account to the creator. Then he says this. Look in verse 17. Look what Paul says next. He says, he is before all things. What does that mean? That means this, before the earth was created, before man was breathed into existence, before the virgin birth of Jesus, Jesus was there. This is one of the most clearest statements about Jesus in the Bible. Here's what it means. He has no beginning. He has no end. He's the alpha and omega. He is eternal. That's our Jesus. That's who he is. He is not a created being. And then it says in the same verse, in verse 17, it says, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. How much does he hold together? Uh, I like to picture this for a second, like this. This is Jesus. He holds it all together. And every time I pick up a globe, I want to start saying, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole. God holds it all together. Now, imagine if that was your or my responsibility. Like, if we were, like, even just to hold a globe, like a, a, a plastic world. Like after a while, I'd be like, man, I scratch my eye. Whoa, whoa, whole world would be total chaos. I mean, all Jesus had to say, you know, I think I'll go over here. What would happen? <laughs> Cataclysmic. We would die. I mean, God holds it all together. 
He is the linchpin. He sustains it. And if he would ever let go, we would be in big trouble. Listen, just because you have lost control of a relationship, just because you no longer have the lead role, just because it feels like life is a total wreck and spinning out of control, always remember, Jesus is in complete control. He's got the whole world in his hands, Paul said. And he's saying this while he's seated in prison. Listen to me, please, today. If you haven't gotten anything and you're struggling in your life right now, you must and I must relinquish control to Jesus. And part of the reason that so many of us are in such a mess is because we want to do it our way. We think we have the market on control of our lives. We believe that somehow our way is the best way. I got good news in what Paul said here, inspired by the Holy Spirit to write. He's got the whole world in his hands and he's got it under control. Release the grip that you hold so tightly to and give it to Jesus. Look what he says next in verse 18. It goes on. We could stop there, but he continues. And he says this in the first part. And he is the head of the body. The church, he is the head of the body. Think about that for a second. What does the head do? The head gives directives to the rest of the body. Like right now, my head is saying, Jim, grab hold of that leg. Kick, kick, kick. Jim, take off the helmet. Throw it down, Jim. Hey, Jim, take a look. There are the Carringtons. My head is telling me, speak, speak. And every once in a while, the filter Holy Spirit says, don't speak, don't speak. Kick, arm. The head gives directives. And so in order for this arm to move and this leg to go and for us to run or for us to sit, the head tells it what to do. It says that Jesus is the head. He gives directives. He gives the instructions. And you take the head off of something, what happens? They're headless, clueless. And we say things like this. Boy, they lost their head in that one, didn't they? Jesus is the head. Aren't you glad? And not only is he head, he holds all things together. You see, we sometimes think Jesus doesn't know what is best for the church or for us or our families. We pray and we ask him things, yet when he doesn't answer us the way we want, what happens to it? We get frustrated, we get angry, we get upset. Let me tell you something. Listen, I have to speak to myself too, just like you do. Jesus knows what's best for us. Paul said this in Romans, and you got to consider Paul for a second, like, he once persecuted Christians and, and ordered them to be killed. And then on his way on the road to Damascus, the scales came off his eyes and he found out who Jesus was. So he took that same passion and zeal and said, Jesus is the way, Jesus is the way. You can chain me up, you can, you can kill me, but I want you to know Jesus is who he said he was. And he says this in Romans chapter nine. Just listen to this. Paul said this. Who in the world do you think you are to second guess God? Do you for one moment... Suppose any of us knows enough to call God into question? Clay doesn't talk back to the fingers that mold it, saying, why did you shape me like this? Isn't it obvious, Paul says, that a potter has the perfect right to shape one lump of clay into a vase for holding flowers and another into a pot for cooking beans? The Bible goes on to say, some are created for noble purposes and some for ignoble purposes. One of the things I love to do 
when we go to the beach, I will build sandcastles. And so we'll go to a beach store and I'll grab a bucket, the biggest bucket they have, and I'll get a shovel and one that's the strongest so I don't break the handles. I always break them. So I look for a strong one. And then there'll be some shapes and sizes in there that you can put sand in. And, and not kidding you, I'll sit down. There might be a three-year-old and a four-year-old and there's the 56-year-old. And I build castles. I love building them. I'm telling you, why? Because I encounter God. I can hear the waves. There's the sand. There's the water. General revelation. And so let me tell you, I've built some stuff. And you can ask my wife. There's some pretty, I think, pretty cool things that I've built. And some, ignoble all the way. But never once, as I'm building this, does this whatever it is, this animal, this turtle, this, 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 this angel, this castle, this moat say, why did you do that? It doesn't speak back to me because I'm the creator of it. It doesn't tell me what to do. It can't tell me what to do because I'm the creator. It's the created being. And Paul is saying, what right do you and I have to second guess God? How can a perfect God make mistakes with the way he created us? That's our God. Paul says, that's who your Jesus is. Then he says this. Look at, look at the second part of verse 18. He says, he's the head of the body in the church. And then it says, he's the beginning and, first, and the firstborn from among the dead. So that in everything, he might have supremacy. Here's what that means. Jesus is alive. Come on, amen. Jesus is alive. He's not just back from the grave, but he's alive. He is better than a video game that gives you extra lives. He's alive. He died and now he's alive and no one else does that or has or is able to do that. We don't worship a dead God. We have a living God that is holding all things together and he will never let go. One of my trips into Cambodia, we went to this mountain region in the jungle And on the side, the base of this mountain was this gigantic Buddha. I'm telling you, it was 65 feet long. Gigantic. It's this Buddha laying on its back. And so we walked down. We had had our armor on. We, We pray the armor on before we go to dark places like that. And as I'm standing there, I watch all these Cambodian people. They come up. They were kneeling down. And they were laying dollars and alms and and praying and I'm not kidding, I'm standing there, I'm watching this, I'm thinking, I want to say, he's dead. <laughs> Don't you know he's dead? He might be big, but he's just concrete. I can get that at Lowe's. <laughs> and they're worshiping this concrete God that can't do anything for him. In fact, if you go to Muhammad's tomb, his bones are still there. If you go to Buddha's tomb, they built a shrine over his bones. But if you go to Jesus' tomb, he's not there. When you go to Israel today, it's one of the dreams that my wife and I have is to go to Israel as a couple and just see where our Savior walked. And hopefully one day we'll be able to do it. It's a dream that we have. But if you go to Israel today, there's this place that they think is the tomb of Jesus. They think. I think Jesus was here. And so they'll bring you on, and I've seen pictures, and I've watched videos of it, and you come to this tomb in the cave, and it's like, wow. And they wonder. They think. They're not certain, but they wonder. They're hopeful, pretty certain. 
that Jesus was buried there. Why don't they know for certain if Jesus was buried there? Why can't we find the tomb that Jesus was buried in? You want to know why? Because three days after he died, they went to his tomb and he was gone. So the reason we can't find his tomb is that people stopped going there. They didn't go there and say, this, this is tomb where... No. Many saw him. 5,000 saw him. For 40 days he walked on earth and they saw the prince in his hands where he, where he hung on the cross. And, 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 and three days after he died on the cross, he was sitting at IHOP in Jerusalem eating breakfast. He had no intention of ever going back to the tomb. The reason they can't find him is because they stopped keeping track of it. Why do you want to keep track of a tomb where Jesus is not? He's alive. So they stopped going there. Just, they didn't have a, like, road every day. We got to go to the tomb where, where our Savior was buried. And they made him out of concrete and just give an arm. Just give day after. No, he's not there. He's alive. And he's holding the world together, Paul said. And here's what I know to be true. Jesus is alive and Buddha is dead. Jesus is alive and Muhammad is dead. Jesus beat death. And we try to beat death all the time, don't we? We'll take vitamins, minerals, we exercise, we drink water, we eat broccoli and we hate it. We drink coconut water, that's a new thing. Oh, it's a coconut water. We put on sunscreen to protect us from cancer. But here, let me tell you something. We try to beat death all the time. But you will die full of vitamins and minerals on a beach with sunscreen on. That's funny, I don't care who you are. Listen to me. All the other religious founding fathers or gods had a weird guy who died and they miss him. <laughs> they come back and they, they, they kneel with concrete. And they put shrine houses and trinkets in their homes. And they miss him. Why? Because he's dead. And you know what dead people do? Very little. Yeah, Paul said, and we know from Scripture, Jesus is alive and he beat death at the resurrection. And he is building a room for you and me in a place called heaven. And I can't wait. One day, the word of God promises us that when we breathe our last breath, we will stand in the presence of a God who holds all things together, who beat death and was resurrected, and he has crafted a home for us in heaven. And you know what else he's doing? He's holding the world together, and he's working all things out for good to those that love him. When we die, we live. No sickness, no sin, no injustices, no criticism, no hatred. I never forget I was in Florida and I was walking on the streets of Florida and I was sharing faith with Mark Cahill. My wife Ann was too and we're just going up to people and engaging them, asking them questions about God. And we came to this gal that she was there and her boyfriend or friend that was with her found out it was friend later. I think he didn't want to be her friend after. But he had a Cubs hat on. So we're in Florida. Like, huh, you were for the Cubs? Conversation, opportunity, connect God to life. You for the Cubs? This is a few years back. It's, man, you're loyal, man. They haven't won a World Series. What keeps you rooting for them? 
And he went on to say, and so we began talking, did some God talk, and I said, hey, what do you think about God? And so I looked at this girl and I said, what do you think about God? She said, oh, I think there's gods. She said, I said, gods, yeah. She said, I believe that when you die, you come back to earth in another form based upon how you lived on earth, karma. I believe if you're good, you come back as a different good and, and that just cycle just keeps repeating. And I asked her this question, why do you want to keep coming back to this? And I said, so, what do you hope you'll come back as? She said, I want to be a bird. I had to keep from laughing. I'm sorry. Just... But I didn't want to be disrespectful because that's where she was at. And I said, why do you want to be a bird? She said, so I can fly and I can see. She said, I want to be a big bird. So I asked her this question. I said, where do you get that from? Where did you learn that from? Oh, she says, you know, I heard it. I read it in this book and I picked a piece up over here and I picked a piece up over here. And she said, and meanwhile, I saw this guy. He was like. And I asked him, I said, I said, are you guys dating? He went. I said, what do you believe? He said, I don't believe that. He said, I believe there is a God. He said, but I'm not certain how we get to him. And so we went on to share the gospel with this man. Jesus is saying, or Paul is saying this, that Jesus is who he said he is, and he's alive, and he beat death. Then he says this, probably the clearest statement in Scripture who he is. Look at verse 19. Paul doesn't stop. Verse 19, he says this, For God was pleased to have all his what dwell in him. Fullness. Jesus said on numerous occasions, hear me out, this is so important, like, if you don't get anything else about Jesus, this is the verse that's the linchpin to hang on. Jesus said on numerous occasions that he's God. That's why they killed him. No other founding religious leader claimed to be God. And here's what I know. They killed Jesus because he said he was God and he came back to life and said, I told you so. Amen? Let me, let me say, to, here, here, here it is. Like, Jesus, Christ is God, a category all by himself. Like, I should just walk away. That's who he is. And so you're wondering, how can I get through this sickness? And how am I going to work through this relationship? You got Jesus! Like, that's enough. Like, we can stop here. Jesus is fully God. All the fullness of God is in Jesus. He's not just a good man. He's God. He doesn't stop. Like, I can see Paul. He's like, write this down. You got to know this. Look at verse 20. And he said this. And through him to reconcile to himself how many things? What's it say? All things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is a dangerous verse, and here's why. There are people who are called universalists. They believe in universalism, and here's what a universalist believes, and you'll run into them. They believe, because of this verse, that God died, Jesus died to reconcile all things, all people. So God would never send people to hell. Jesus loves everybody. 
There it is. And, and, and a universalist, they'll come up to you and, and they'll do the same thing a Jehovah Witness does. And they'll say, okay, let me hand me your Bible and you hand it to them. And they'll ask you a question. Is there a place called hell? Does everyone go to heaven? It's what happened to Rob Bell. He became a universalist. And they'll ask this question to you. Did Jesus reconcile everyone? And you'll say, no, 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 just those that know him. No, 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 give me your Bible. And so what you need to know from this verse is this. Not everyone goes to heaven. You just can't stop there. You got to go to Matthew chapter 7, Matthew chapter 25. You go to all the gospels and you will know and I will know over and over and over again that the road is narrow and the gate is small and only a few find their way to Jesus. And you know from the gospels that many will stand on that day. But Lord, Lord, I, I was in Axis youth group. But Lord, Lord, I, I, I witnessed. But Lord, Lord, I went on a blitz. But Lord, Lord, I came to church twice a month. And he will say, depart from me. I never knew you. How do you put those passages up against this? Here's what this means. Think about this for a second. Jesus died for all those that make peace with the cross and are his adopted children. That's what it means. Those of us who trusted on the work on the cross, Jesus died for all those. So people ask this question sincerely, and I've had it asked, and I try to be as tender, be gentle, and do it with respect for anyone who asks about Jesus. First Peter 3.15, they'll ask this question. How can a loving God send people to hell? And sometimes I weep when I hear people ask that question. But I come back with this the same way they ask me. I come back with questions just like Jesus did. I ask this question. How can a good God, loving God, let me into heaven? Come on. Do we deserve it? No. And Jesus reminded us through John on the island of Patmos. Look at Revelation chapter 14 and verse 10. Look, look turn there. Revelation chapter 14. Here, here's the reality to the universalists. Revelation chapter 14 and verse 10 says this, and they too will drink the wine of God's fury, which has been poured out full strength in the cup of his wrath. They will be tormented with burning what? Sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and of the what? Lamb, which is Jesus. And the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. There will be no rest day and night. That's, that's, that's eternal, eternal hell. That's not annihilation that you burn and you die. It's eternal torment. There will be no rest day or night for those who worship the beast and its image or for anyone who receives the mark of its name. This calls for patient endurance on the part of those people of God who keep his commands and remain faithful to Jesus. So then Paul wraps this up, Colossians chapter 1 with this 21 once you were alienated from God and enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death on the cross to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith Paul said established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel this is the gospel that you have heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. You know what he's saying? Jesus, Jesus Christ is the only savior. Jesus, not Buddha. 
not Muhammad. Jesus said what he said and he did what he said he would do. He is alive and he is the savior of the world and the fullness of God dwells in him and he is a visible image of the invisible God and he died for us. Oh Lord, help us to get a glimpse of that. God, pushes out of our houses today, away from our television tubes, away from our smartphones, and let us take a walk in creation and, and smell the flowers and hear the birds and watch General Revelation scream out, I'm here, I'm here. And God, when we want to question you, help us to, to say this, who are we? We are created beings by the creator and your name is great in Jesus name amen